Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Okay, let's get started. It's 8.31. I think people will still trickle in. Um, I believe that we were part of the way through a long, grammar-heavy Rashi um, that's going to deal with the difference between two-letter roots and three-letter roots and how that impacts their form in, in longer forms, particularly in the he field, in the causative. So that is chapter two of the book of Shemot, book of Exodus, verse 10. What I'll do just to um, bring us some momentum. Is to we read- stopped at Va'ani. Va'ani Omer is where we stopped. Va'ani, oh, correct. Right after the reference to Menachem Ben Saruk, who is the medieval dictionary writer. Um, okay. So let me, let me kind of get us there. And then we'll we'll see who's going to pick us up. So the verse itself, the boy grew, which we already referenced last week, is going to be an interesting two-word phrase because looking ahead two verses to verse 12, sorry, just to verse 11, we're going to have Vayigdal Moshe. So we have in verse 10 that the boy grew. Clearly can't be Vayigdal Moshe yet because he hasn't gotten his name. And she brought him, we presume, his mother to the daughter of Pharaoh. And he became to her, we, we presume the to her is a son, some sort of a formal adoptive process where this child now belongs to her. And she called his name Moshe. Batomer, and she said, because uh, she knew Hebrew well, because from the water I drew him. And the word that we're going to be focusing on is mishitihu, which, which is some pa- perfect past tense verb in the first person singular, plus the direct object of him, because blank oto. The question is, what's the blank? It looks like the br- the blank would be um, mashti oto. Ani mashti oto. I mashed him from the water. Whatever the word mashti means, that's what it looks like it should be. Um, but Rashi is going to uh, push against that um, as he gives us a little bit of a discursus on how roots uh, appear in, um, in different binyanim. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly read through the part of the Rashi that we read last week, and then we'll pick up. Mishitihu, Shechalta, Hulashon Hotza'ah, Belashon Arami. So first he quotes the Uncleus, who translates it as Shechalte, or Shechalta, which is the language of removal in Aramaic. And he gives a, uh, a three-word reference from Mechalba. It's I think we, I told you last time it's a page of the Talmud referring to um, a, a gentle death, like removing a hair from a container of milk. That 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 fluid and easy of a process. We should all have such an easy death. 
Lashon Ivri, and in the language of Hebrew, that would be Mishitihu. Lashon Hasirotiv, which would mean I removed it or him. In this case, Kimo, just like Lo Yamush. Um, uh, Joshua saying, may, may these laws in this Torah no, uh, not remo- be removed, do not depart from your heart, looking like it's the, it's the root mem shin, below mashu, also a reference in the 14th uh, book of, 14th chapter of the Midbar, referencing the fact that Aaron and his sons did not leave their posts even as brazen people were coming up to the Aaron Kodesh. So the early pre-Rashi dictionary writer Menachem ben Saruk reads it this way. It's from the two-letter root mem shin, having something to do with removal. Now, everything that Rashi is about to say is going to impact the meaning of the verse, not at all. Everyone seems to agree what the content of the root means. He is now focused I'm pretty sure only on grammatical form because he wants to be precise. But I think either way, he's going to agree with Menachem ben Saruk that the, the meaning has to do with removing and drawing out. Okay, so that's where we picked up. Any questions on that before we go? And remember to, to raise your hand digitally because I'm not seeing every screen at the same time. So I can't see if you're raising your hand physically. Okay, so let's keep going. Uh, Diane, Diane Larry. Real quick, uh, any chance that the Memshin two-letter root is related to Limshoch, adding the the Chaf at the end? There's a chance in that, as we discussed with some here and there, that three-letter roots belong to uber two-letter root families often, right? Not It doesn't mean that every three-letter root that shares the same two-letter root is related, but it seems to be that the that the the evolution of the language and the roots over time created families of roots. So, so sure. So let's say the answer is yes. Then what? Well, at least we'd understand that it's limshok to withdraw to take out. That it, it, it corroborates the meaning of being withdrawn from the water. Yes, because you said that memshin chaf to. Uh, to pull is a more commonly understood root than just the memshin, and so it, it, it I see, yeah. Well, I, it, it could even simply be a transcription mistake, although I'm not sure exactly how you would do that. Well, it's interesting. You you have anticipated uh, uh, Rashbam. Look at Rashbam on the page, Larry. Second from the right on the top. Second from the top on the right. Yeah. Right. Rashbam says, Mishitihu, Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, translates it as Mishachtihu. He basically throws in that thought. Lashon Zed, this meaning, no fail, is related to the Mishicha, Minhamayim, pulling out from the water. Yeah. So according to, um, uh, uh, according to Rashbam, the meaning is related to Mashach, Rashi is going to figure out why the word looks the way it does, not not which root it is. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matt, you want to pick up on Vani Omer? Sorry, I had it here. Hold on a second. All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Vani Omer, she ain't no 
ממחברת מש ומוש אלה מגזרת משה. ולשון הוצאה הוא וכן רש"י has different use words for the um for the word um root and the word binyan right so okay so he, i'm not sure exactly how he's using machbera but basically saying the, the shoresh the the, the 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 root maybe he's using it in the place of the word root the root of this word is not yeah. mem mem shin such that mishitihu should be understood as mashti oto okay. nor that does it fall into the same root as yamush which is the root that he that, that menachem brought from the book of joshua but rather from from the um sorry It's okay. I'm, I'm trying to do this on my phone and it's falling apart. Um, I'm going to try to do it in, in for my book, which is a, in this horrible Rashtik typeface. Megizat Mash V'yamush Ela Megizat Masa rather from the, the uh, uh, definition or classification of, of Masa Masa good so let me just pause because there's some questions on this on the side of the chat um Eitan Feldman I assume that's Tali that's Tali hi Tali um or whoever it is hello Um, we are on the second chapter of the book of Shemot, verse 10. Second chapter, verse 10, in the middle of that Rashi. Um, and we, I'm not sure, you asked me if you would, if I could send you a link to the page. Do you mean, I'm not sure if you're asking me to do that on Safari or, I'm not sure what you're asking. Let me un, unmute you if you want to actually ask a question. Can you hear us? Is that Tali? Yes, it's me. Sorry, my video's not working. Um, I got it up on Chabad. Perfect. So, second chapter, Shmot. Second chapter, Shmot, verse 10. Mishitihu. Excellent. Thanks. You're welcome. And welcome. Good to have you. Um, so, so far, what Rashi has said is, I kind of agree with Menachem that the meaning is removal. Or to depart, but I don't believe in this I don't agree with him with the structure. It's not memshin as the root, it's memshin hey. What's the difference? The difference is we want to know exactly why every single word in the Torah is constructed and built exactly as it is. Um, I see a couple of hands. Um, Marshall and Jared, let, let me 
Let me let um, Matt continue through, and then we'll go back and see um, what you want to contribute to it. So um, back to you, Matt. All right. And thus, uh, I will be drawn from many waters, Shmuel, or great waters. So he gives another example from the second chapter of Shmuel that uh, uses the root in a way that is similar to the, one, the way he believes it's being used here. And again, he doesn't think it's from Memshin, it's from Memshin Hey. She'ilu. She'ilu haya Memshin. So if it were from the category of Memshin, lo yitachen more. Uh, then it wouldn't be it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't uh, seem likely to say rather right. so pause right there yeah. if it's a two letter root mash and the, the the root means to 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 depart rather than to be departed. Then, in order for the 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 daughter of Pharaoh to say about this boy, this boy, I moshed him, it would have to be in the he feel, because loyamush means may this may the safer Torah not depart. But she's not the one departing; she's the one making departing by removing, and therefore it wouldn't be. Mashti Oto, it would be something like Hey Mashti Oto. I made I brought this child out, and if you had combined it into one word with a suffix in, it would be something like, according right. to Rashi, Hamishotihu, if the root is Memshin. Kasher, keep going. Kasher Ye Amer Min Kam. Come as a as a two as an example of a two letter root, like right. we would do if the letter were not the two letters. Mm-hmm. But Hekimoti, Hekimoti, right. I right. raised. Right. Since since come means to get up, if I'm the one getting you up, it's not Kamti um, Otra. Um, it's Hakimoti Otra. I'm the one causing you. I have to put into a heat. Right. And the right. same when it comes to shav, right? And then shav hashivoti umin na hani nuts hani toti ba bet bet alaf habitzoti. I don't know what that means. I can't even read it. Can we, get, can we get rid of this Rashi Katal typeface, please? Uh, Matt, it's Ba, Bet Aleph, Ba Havioti. Havioti, okay. So he gives us three other examples. If the root is Shav, if, if, we're, if I'm going to say I returned you, it wouldn't be Veshavti Otcha. Veshavti would mean I returned myself. But if I returned you, or if God is returning, it's, it's Hashivoti. And if it's Ba, bati means I came. 
If I want to say that I made you come, it's haviyoti, right? So if this word, word were, the, were the root memshin, she could mm-hmm. not have said, um, mishitihu. it would have to have been kimihamayim hamishotihu. I brought, I caused him to come out if the root is memshin which is Rashi's way of proving that it's not Memshin. Rather, what is it? Uh, okay. Sorry. Umeshiti et avon ha'aretz. So from a, a, a quote from the book, example from Zachary, right? Which means Umashti, I, um, I remove uh, the sin, remove the sin from the land. Okay, so keep going. Aval, aval, mashiti eno ela migizat teva. Uh, stop, stop, stop. Okay, so translate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, but Masiti Mashiti Mashiti. A no is 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 only or is none other than coming from the uh, classification of teva 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 like uh, uh, the ark teva no teva meaning word meaning that oh, word. if it's the way it's going to appear in our verse mashiti with that yud in there remember yeah. that the eno ella renders in English as an only. Only is coming, therefore, from therefore. the root of a word, Zerateba, Shepoal Shalah, who structures oh, it. Uh, God is based on Beite Aleph at the end uh, of the word. Is based, when it says Musad, it means uh-huh. its, its three letter root ends, that's what it means by Musad, in a the uh-huh. hey, with a hey, three letter root. Okay. At the end of the word. For example, Masa Masha Masha Bana Asa Liva Pana Kaseyu Kasheya. I can't read this. Sorry. Kasheya Ba. Okay. It's too much for me. I'm sorry. That's okay. Hold, hold, hold on one second. Okay. So he says that if, since the word has that unit, Mishitihu, only from a, um, it's only from a root 
whose three-letter root ends in hey, like mem shin hey masha, bet nun hey bana to build, ayin sin hey asa to do, tsadi, that's a tsadi, not a vlamed, tsadi vav hey tsiva to command, pei nun hey, pei nun hey to turn. When the word kind of wants to be expressed in the form of I did it, he's using that word pa'alti here as just a, 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 a place setter for the past tense perfect verb, first person singular. When it wants to be, when a, when a three letter root who ends in hey is expressed in a I did it, tavo hayud, the yud comes. Bimkom hey, instead of the hey. So a yud comes instead of the placement of the hey in the three-letter root. And it becomes not, you don't say, I built banati, you say baniti. You don't say, I bought kanati, you say kaniti. You don't say, I did asati, you say asiti. And you don't say, I commanded Savati, you say Tsiviti, and therefore the three-letter root Mem Shin Hei, meaning to remove, is Mashiti, not Mashti, and therefore in this form it's Kimishitihu, I drew him from the water, from a three-letter root Mem Shin Hei, not a two-letter root Mem Shin, Mem Shin. had it been a two-letter root, it would have had to have the he feel added to it, Hamishoti. With all of this, and I know we just spent 22 minutes on it, and well done trying to break your teeth out of that, I don't think Rashi, unless I'm missing anything, I don't think Rashi is saying anything about how we should understand what actually happened in the scene. He just does not want us to depart, pun intended, from this verse without knowing exactly why that word looks like what it does. Okay. So we've completed the Rashi. Let me hear from Marshall and Vered, because you had your hands up before. Uh, I'm not sure which part of the Rashi comment you wanted to comment on. Marshall? Yeah. I just wanted to comment on the word memachberet again. Yes. I know in, in modern Hebrew, I think the word lechaber or chibur means to connect. And it seems to me that maybe we're talking about, I don't know what's a, a technical term here, but it seems like when you say I'm connecting something, I want to classify it into a certain category yeah it's, it's like a taxonomy right um and, and i and i and i will say that i don't i don't have enough of a of an understanding particularly comparing rashi's use of the words with other medieval commentators how 11th to 14th century hebrew dealt with the, the words that we know in hebrew as shoresh binyan Pa'al, things like that. We get it from context, but I'm not sure precisely what he means by machberet here and gizra there um, and, um, um, and, and how he's using those terms. But I, I know what he's saying, but I'm not sure exactly what the definition of that word would be. Um, Vered, and then Barry. No. So show me in Vered. Here. Yes? Yes. Okay. Okay, tov, everybody. Okay. So I think it's a little bit of a confusion in grammar in which three concepts are not identified as we know them today. 
which is Shoresh, Gizra, and Binyan. So the root and the classification and the structure, like the Binyan. And what he's arguing is that if that would have been from the Shoresh, the root Memshin only, in the form of Hifil, it should have been Hamshi Tihu, which isn't the form. Then he concludes, and I'm summarizing it, that it falls into um, a binyan we call Pa'al, and has three root letters, Mem Shin Hei, like Bana, Ratsa, Kana. So in past tense, we say Kaniti, Baniti, Haiti. Thus we say Mashiti, which means to pull out. And Meshiti, who has the pronominal suffixes, I pulled out him. So the conclusion is that the Shoresh, as per Rashi, is Memshin Hei in Pa'al, and that's the end of this confusion. I mean, not confusion, but because he uses different terms, it seems kind of a little bit uh, unclear in the beginning. Correct. Correct. Um, Barry. So during all of this um, word analysis, uh, I, I couldn't help but visualize what's this story all about. And um, so uh, we have the water, wells and water, uh, we know in Torah have a lot of significance with, with, with birthing and, um, and Shekhinah and so on. Um, it, it, so here, uh, Mo, Moshe is the, the, the Moshe is being born, it, it, not by being pushed out, but by being pulled out. And, and uh, so there's the, the, there's a, there's a causative on this side of the world uh, of Moshe being pulled out uh, as this identity. Uh, Right. Yeah, particularly as we think about um, the resonance between the beginning of the Book of Shemot and the apex of the Book of Shemot, the, re- the, re- the removal and the saving from water by the hands of someone else. I, I, while I'm not convinced that, that Rashi is particularly interested in that association here, I think it's right for us to pull out and understand that, yes, this, this Moshe who's going to save the Israelites by having them be pulled out from the water is being pulled out from the water. And that is what his name actually means. He, his name is, I was pulled out by someone else from the water. Uh, Larry or Diane. It's Larry. Uh, Maybe someone said this already. It doesn't really add anything except to remind us that we know this. Um, we say at the end of um, the Kedusha. Right. Usaf. So we use Yamush um, in our prayers. And we, so we know the word. Right. And the word there is, is, is um, clearly from the Mem Shin, two-letter root. May it not depart, 
And, be, and if that had to be turned causative, it would not have been yamush, but mm, lo, lo, yam, lo, lo yamish. In fact, in fact, occasionally we have that in the Bible. Lo yamish, may, may, may he not remove you. May God not remove you. And so that, that actually uh, reinforces Rashi's point that in that form, it is not um, causative but active. And since this meaning is causative, we have to pull it out from it. We have to pull it out, haha, from a different root. Great. Okay. So um, I didn't want to skip it because we generally only skip a Rashi if it's just if it's pure math. Um, but pure grammar, we do. So uh, thank you, Matt, for being the sacrificial lamb for uh, moving through that. Okay. Now we're on verse eleven. Unless there are any more questions or comments on that. No. Okay. Um, let's see who has not, uh, read in a, in, in a while. Um, is Sue here? Sue, Sue, do you want to read verse 11? Yep. Hi. Hi. Um, hey, Mondo. That high ignited the dog. Okay. Vayahi v'yamim hahem Vayigdal Moshe, Vayetse el Echav, Vayar Besaklotam, Vayar Mitzri, Make Ish Ivri Meachev, Meachav, Meachav. And so it was in those days, long, long ago, um, that Moshe grew up, and he went, and he went to his brothers, and he saw their suffering, and he saw an Egyptian man that hit the Hebrew, that, that hit one of his Hebrew brethren. Good. And can I picture the scene, whether the scene you're picturing in your mind is even Charlton Heston or if it's Prince of Egypt or, or, or your, the images of the scene from your mind when you were learning this as a child. But it's a very, um, you know, obviously well-known scene in our tradition, and now we get to read it slowly. So the way I want to do this first is I want to occasionally we ask it this way. What questions, if you were reading closely and every letter and every word mattered, and you were not prejudging what you think you know about the scene, right? You were not allowing yourself yet to be impacted by, you know, any any media midrashim you've seen on the scene. What does the verse itself ask us to ask? What should we ask about this verse and think in the language of question, not answer? Rick, Diane, Larry, Norm, Andrew. Hi. Um... Well, you don't need Me'achav at the end, because you already know uh, it's one of his brothers, so it's a nice emphasis that it was one of his brothers, um, and uh, somehow he knew uh, that in both places they're uh, his his brethren, his brothers, so uh, Miriam told him, or somebody told him, you know. so resist a- answering the question, right? Just oh. question out, right? right. We'll answer it later. But you're, you're asking, why do we have me- me'echav twice? 
I would I would give a Rashi on your question and say, why do we have Mechav at all? Or what does it mean to say that all of a sudden Moshe, who was raised, um, you know, being nursed by his mother but raised in the palace, to what extent does the phrase Echav, his brothers, even refer to him, right? So it's an interesting placement of Echav, and then you're also asking, and then it gets it gets placed again at the end of the verse. Good. So Echav, we have a question about Echav. Who are his brothers to him? What is Whom does he think of as his brothers? Diane Larry? So lots of questions are suggested here. First one is... Oh, we lost you. Where'd you go? Okay, say it again. First one is... First question is, what happened to the rest of Moshe's life growing up? Um, Is it on the cutting room floor? Is this a different source? Um, Why did we skip all of that? Second of all, given that we think he grew up in Pharaoh's palace, how does he know that this is kindred? How does he? How has he maintained this connection? Um, and I just I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not an expert, but I think that the life of Jesus is also similar in that there's there's his birth, and then there's this gap until he's 33 years old. So there's something very similar here going on. Great. So we want to know about the gap. We want to know um, it's a version of. Rick's question, what, what is his relationship with these brethren? To what extent does he consider them brethren? Um, and I'll, 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 add, I'll add a question on your question, which we made reference to last verse. What does it mean to say that he grew up if, wait a second, we already were told that he grew up? So can I just mention one other thing? Yeah. I, I disagree with Rick, because if you believe this is actually a different story and a different source which I think is an extension of what I was arguing two weeks ago with the lack of names beforehand, and now we get the names suddenly. It has to say that it's one of his kinsmen because you wouldn't know. This guy comes from the palace, it's Moshe, and he doesn't know that he's kinsmen. He just acts out of, um, out of his own sense of uh, outrage, and then it's one of his kinsmen is, atta- is attached to the pasuk to make it fit as a possibility. I don't understand that last point, Rick. Uh, Rick, Larry, say that again. Who wouldn't know that it was a you could, you could read the entire pasuk without me'echav at the end. I think. No, you couldn't. I'm sorry. Okay, you have. so you have to say that. Okay, sorry, because it's in the middle as well. Echav. You've got it both places. His kinsman. Yeah. I think one of the questions that we'll, we'll have to think through that Rashi really does not spend time on, but we can, which is, um, and which both um, which both Rick and Diane brought up, is wh- what is the impact of the words El Echav to the character? Right? I want to say it that way. Like, to this guy, recently named Moshe, who grew up in the palace, what, what, if he's aware... Let's go meta. If he's aware of the verse being written about him, but right as it were, what does it mean to him that he had brethren, that he had echav? Right? We, the reader, are being told that so that we know in the scene that oh, it's Moshe seeing a Hebrew being beaten, 
We know that, right? But what, but what does the echad mean to the character, Moshe? And why is that explained there? Norm, Andrew, Marshall, Matt, let's just hear more questions. I like the questions. Um, I have three questions. One is, who is the Egyptian who is doing the beating? Good. Who was the Hebrew who was being beaten? And I want to propose that Echav in, in the first part of the sentence and Echav at the very end is not necessarily the same set of brethren. He may have gone out from the palace with a group of his buddies who also were growing up in the palace, royalty and nobility and what have you, and they went out as brethren, so to speak. And then he sees this happening, and he sides with the slave being beaten, the enslaved man being beaten, and somehow he becomes more identified with those people as his brethren, and that this sentence may mark the change between being merely a privileged member of the Pharaoh's household and being somebody who is committed to some element of justice. Very nice, Tom. So first you're, you're identifying the anonymity in the verse, and I want you to remember that because Rashi is going to say something on Ish Mitzri, um, that and it's going to it's going to continue over the next two verses, which is kind of a wild midrash. Um, I think from the Tanchuma, and and it, the, the midrash only makes sense if you are as bothered as Norm is by the anonymity of who these people are. Right? We could read this verse and not be bothered by it. Say, oh, it's an Egyptian man, the Hebrew man. It doesn't matter. He's a slave. One of tens of thousands of slaves. It shouldn't matter who it is. Nor should it matter who's doing the hitting. But if you're if, if your brain is like poked with the idea of, but who was it? The Midrash serves to answer that. Good. Um, I, I like, the, I, I like the, 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 the meaning of the question about whether or not the two echaz are the same group, because I like where it goes in terms of the idea that he went out with one, with one set of people being thought of as his brothers, and by the end of the verse, it's a different set of people being thought of as his brothers. I like that. I'm not sure that works with Vayar Besivlotam, because it seems that the Sivlotam, the their sufferings, refers to the group of Echav that were just referenced, in which case that initial group of Echav can't be his palace buddies. But I like the image. I like the image of the beginning of the verse. He's, he, he's an Egyptian man going out um, to do an Egyptian-style thing. And by the end of the verse... He's an Ivri almost. He's identified as an Ivri. Um, since I have the, well, <laughs> let, let's see if, I, I have another question I want to ask in the verse, but I want to see if anyone else gets there first. So Andrew, Marshall, Matt. Well, I've got a pretty simple language question. I'm just intrigued by the Vayahi Bayamim Haheim and what that signifies is it just, I mean, maybe just sort of an empty kind of throat clearing, but perhaps it's used elsewhere in the Torah, perhaps it actually means something. Right. Um, I, I, what a great uh, way of thinking of it as a throat clearing, right? It's a, or, or, or an ellipsis, or a, if, if it was Wayne's World, it was, right? right? Some time has passed. Like, how specific is the haim of Bayamim Hahem? It reminds us of uh, the beginning of the story of the Akedah, after these things. Which things? It could have been any of the pre- preceding things, right? 
So it is used quite often in the Torah and the Bible as a way of introducing a new scene. And remember that, that we denote changes in literature in the, in the modern and the slightly pre-modern era in a lot of different ways, right? Next, next paragraph or indentation or turn the page or chapter six. And we're reading a text that was edited, but once it got edited, it was one long flow, right? And there is, there is no place where the author pressed a return, except um, in the Torah scroll itself, where you see those parshot open and closed. So I think you're right that in some ways, Vayahi Vayamim Hahem is a way of the Torah saying next scene, right? They didn't even have what Shakespeare had, which is to give any kind of stage direction. Um, but I think we're supposed to understand it as in the pshat, non-specific, you know, next scene, and but but fodder for drash. Some there, there are plenty of drashot on Vayahi Achare Hadvima Ela um, after these things to try to figure out what were the things that happened immediately before the Akedah. But they're not there in the Peshat, they're only there in, in, um, in the Midrashic imagination. Great. Uh, Marshall, Matt, Tova, more questions? You got to unmute, Marshall. So when I think of verbs of movement, I can think of... Latzet to go out, lavo to come, lolechet to to go, to walk. And so the question I have is, why is the word vayetze used here? Mm. Good. And then the, the second question too is, and others have alluded to it, to use the word el echav to sense of connectedness there. Why was that word used? Good. Why, why Echad, which we spoke about, why Vayetze is not the only verse that could have been, only word that could have been used. We know from those of us who are a part of the class or learned it elsewhere that, that Rashi and others ask a very similar question on, on, the, on the beginning of Parshat Vayetze, Vayetze Yaakov Mir Be'sheva. Matt, I'm not going to do the joke, I promise. But even without the joke, people ask that question. What, what, what does it mean that we're, we're told that he specifically departed as opposed to Vayelech, right? Um, you reminded me of something else. Oh, Norm put in the chat something very interesting, a reminder of um, how kind of ex post facto the Jewish tradition sought to put um, a c- certain categories of this of the chunks of the text. Yes, that Vayhi Bayimim Hahem begins the third aliyah of Parshat Shmok, right? So at least the way we read it, we're starting a new scene, right? Moshe was born, was named, and then after some time, now we start the new scene. Okay, uh, let's hear a few more questions, Matt and Tova, and then we'll see if there's one more question that I can add to it. Go ahead, Matt. Okay, I was just struck by the use of I, I didn't. I don't think we've heard that word very much, at least Abraham is, is, is identified as an agree in Bereshit, but Everybody else in Bereshit, everything else that happened in Bereshit, there wasn't any question about whether you were part of that in-group or not. Uh-huh. And now it comes to the point where it makes a difference who they are. And um, and then I was looking at uh, out of curiosity, Uncleus, and he calls him Yehudi. Yeah. So he's a Judean. Right. Or he's Jewish. Right. 
remember the tribe of Judah? I don't know. They, they had tribe, they still had tribe distinctions back then. Maybe that's what it means. Right. My guess is that Unculus is kind of intentionally being anachronistic or pre-anachronistic um, and translating the Hebrew word Ivri, which doesn't mean Yehudi. There's no, there's no way that the word, the Hebrew word Ivri means Yehudi, but his way of saying in Aramaic, one of us, and the way that I, Uncle, is referred to a one of us is a Yehudi, right? Right, um, right. because clearly that, that? that term made sense then. That's, I guess Yehudi versus Romans or something. Correct. Uncle Correct. So, so yes, the, 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 the descriptor of the slave as an Ivri, the, the use of that as a, as, a, as a definition of what family or what group this person is from is worth noting as well. Um, Tova, Carol, Judy, more questions. Uh, okay, uh, we've had two uh, verses in a row, one of which begins, Vayi Hayeled, and this one had, I mean, I'm sorry, Vayigdal Hayeled, and now Vayigdal Moshe. So, what is the difference between those Vayigdal? Good, right? The, the, the doubling of the Vaigdal, Rashi's definitely going to try to answer that. Carol, Judy? I just had a quick question on the uh, the bet before Sivlotam, Vayar Beth Sivlotam. Um, I keep thinking, would they say Vayar Et? The difference between seeing it sort of more personally versus more more from a distance. Great. So that was the, that, that was the question that I was going to add had it not been added. So Baruch Shekivan, that you, you thought of that. Normally we think of the verb Lirot as being a transitive verb requiring a direct object. I saw the book. I saw the ball. I saw the suffering. But if it's not et, but b, should it change our understanding of what the verb means? And, and try to resist translating that preposition into English, it won't make sense to say, I, won't really make sense to say, and he saw in, he saw among, but, but, but wonder is this, a, is, is, are we being told this is a different type of ri'ya, a different type of seeing, because it was not something physical that he saw, a tree, a person. He saw, he, he, he saw an emotion, or he saw an experience. Right. So, without answering the question out there, what's that, Matt? Could we say "beheld"? Would "beheld" do the trick? It sounds to be wider, uh, possibly, right? Um, possibly. And while um, Judy's asking her question, we'll I'll um, look up to see how Ever Fox actually translates that that word, Judy. So I'm wondering, based on what Marshall brought up about why Vayetze is there. I'm wondering if we can draw a connection, no pun intended, from Mishitihu and to Vayetze because there's a, a pulling out and then there's a kind of a parallel and then going out. So here's Moshe. He's entering onto the world of his brother's for something monumental, and this, I'm wondering, is this signifying here's his first major act? Yeah. 
a great addition to the set of questions. Interestingly, I don't, I don't hold ever Fox uh, hold this against him. He translates that Vayarba pretty plainly. He does not suggest in a translation that we should read it anything differently than to see. He wrote, now it was some years later, comma, Moshe grew up. He has a semicolon here. He went out to his brothers and saw their burdens. Just pretty shot. He saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man, one of his brothers. So, a lot of questions out there, which is wonderful. I see actually now one more hand, Diane and Larry, but then, then I want to get to Sue actually trying to see Rashi deal with some of them. Also, folks, I need to end class today two minutes early because I assume it starts at 9.30, so I'm going to do a hard stop at 9.28. Uh, Diane Larry. Only to... to I, well, I agree with you about not translating prepositions. In this case, we might tra- translate it as saw into their suffering. Right. It actually penetrated into the, the, the suffering. Yeah, uh, wonderful. And that will really jive with how Rashi reads it. Even though Rashi wouldn't have used our English expression to get there, we talk a lot in this class about the difference between the words you use and the mental picture you have as a result of those words. And I think Rashi is operating from the same mental picture. Good. Okay, back to you, Sue, uh, is who's going to answer uh, at least one of the questions that we raised. I think this was Tova's question. Like Dal Moshe, Sue? Yes. Wait. Okay. Vayigal Moshe. Vahalo kvar katav vayigal hayeled. Ayeled? Question mark. Um, uh, so, what, so what's Rashi said and what's his question? Um, didn't, didn't, didn't we already write that the child grew up? Yeah, we learned that last verse. So why would the Torah, who's so, um, concise, be redundant? Go ahead. Amar Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Eliezer. Eliezer had this to say about this. Um, but, uh, Harishon Lekoma Ha Lekoma. Vasheni Ligdula Ligdula. So, so try to. The first. The first refers to the second floor flat that they lived on. The first refers to Hakoma, his establishment, the establishment of him, and the second refers to his growth. How about that? Uh, No, his his his. His bigness. Yeah, it's interesting. The way Rashi uses the words, I think, and the way we use Hebrew words, almost re- reverses what I think Rashi's trying to say. He's using koma here, interestingly, to mean size, physical size. He literally grew, right? So Rashi says that the first one, last verse, the verse in which we learn that... Um, uh, that his mother called him Moshe, that's the verse that says he went from being an infant suckling child to a, to a kid, to a young man. That was, that's how Rashi is in Koma. The second word, he's not, I don't think the pointing here is Gedola, but Gedula, and Gedula means greatness vis-a-vis stature, leadership, maturity. 
right? So Rashi's reading verse 10 as saying, the kid was no longer a baby. And verse 11 saying, now he is um, in, a, in, in a place of, he's a bar mitzvah, he's a place of, of, of maturity. Judy was wondering, from our side of the story, are we now seeing someone grow into himself as being someone who can take a step of leadership? Rashi adds a few more words to suggest how the Egyptians may have thought of Moshe at this stage in his life. Shem, Shemanuhu. Shem, Shemanuhu Pharaoh at Albeto. They he put him he put like put him in charge of something uh, of his house. Right. So Rashi seems to say that the second one in our verse, after he'd already actually grown. But now he's growing in greatness. He's growing in authority, so much so that Pharaoh, his step-grandfather, as it were, um, appointed him, this is an interesting link back to the Yosef story, as responsible over his house, right? Joseph, in a very similar language, when Pharaoh says about Joseph that you're going to be al kol bait paro, something like that, that no one, will, no one will move anything in this country without you, that... Um, Moshe had ascended to a place of significance in Pharaoh's court. My question for you, and the you here is not Sue, but the class, what, what, what does it add midrashically on the storyline to suggest that not only A, the second Vaidal suggests a maturity as opposed to just a physical growth, but B, that in this scene, Moshe has responsibilities that he's been appointed to by the Pharaoh. What, 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 how does that thicken the plot, or does it thicken the plot? Anyone? I think it makes a difference in in terms of him going out and and come essentially battling back one of the Pharaoh's henchmen. Um, if, if he's he's not just a guy, he's got some responsibility. Then he's really become a, a minister of the pharaoh's will. That I think that that's different if he's you know out there you know whacking him. Your Yosef. Is Joseph connects back to Yosef? Yeah, absolutely right. And to think back about our our taking in the scene of not just any Egyptian woman having Rahmanas on baby Moshe, but the Egyptian woman perhaps most poised or second most poised to follow the party line, that's the one who took the risk, as it were, on this baby child. The, the Midrash here turns Moshe not only into perhaps someone torn between how he was brought up and torn and how he and the story of his life that he you know he he figured out um, maybe from from his birth mother, but already in a position of leadership to continue to do the very things he's about to see someone else doing, and hit him conscious about it. Right? It, it's a greater it's it's a greater representation of conscience if you are representing the regime rather than just witnessing the regime. And we don't have to have that. The Peshat does not put it there. But the Midrash wants to imagine Moshe in this scene having grown up to the point that he's got a vice presidency in in the Pharaonic rule. 
right? Um, Rick Barry Barbatova. Hello. Hello. Um, Andy can uh, correct me, but um, to go off of the Ten Commandments again, the movie, um, uh, Charlton Hessen is out there um, designing statues and columns to honor uh, Seti. That's the the royal family in in the movie is all about making uh, monuments and things. So the uh, children would be working on. Um, uh, statues for the father, the grandfather, so that so he was involved in their sufferings because he was involved in in what the slaves were doing to make these uh, monuments. So it goes along with that. Great, thank you, Rick, Barry, and Barbara Lentova. Can we also think of the word Gadula referring to his uh, ethical greatness, his ethical maturity? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we as the reader certainly can. I think that the, um, the verse seems to suggest it. Rashi, actually, I, I read Rashi as sharpening it by saying that in context, his Gedula says, says he was more brought into the Egyptian power story than we might have thought. And even so, he was able to exercise this, con- this conscience and this sense of ethical um, presence. Barbara Tova, and then we're going to move forward. Where'd you go, Barbara? Okay. I keep on using yourself. I I think that it means, the the Gadula means that he has been fully accepted as a real grandson, not just an adoptive grandson. Uh, It's a major step. In many people's minds, he wasn't a step-grandchild. He was an adoptive grandchild. Uh-huh. Big difference there. Uh-huh. And I think in this case, the, the, the pharaoh had adopted, had, had said, no, you're real. Uh, adoption is real. You're real, my, really my grandson. And, and has now stepped him up into the hierarchy. Great. And, repre- and representing... Pharaoh's rule even more than than before. Wonderful. Tova? Uh, Yeah, just adding on the uh, implications of Rashi's drosh of his position as heading the household, it also makes more acute this kind of dual identity because he's not just reacting to it potentially as somebody who knows this is his own roots, but as second to Pharaoh in a way, or a very high official, he's reacting as somebody who finds it an affront to what should be the Egyptian ethics. Good. So it's it's a condemnation of of the society itself. Wow, I I had I had I had not considered that read. That's really interesting. That by by ma- making him wear the uniform of the Egyptians, as it were, and then finding what he saw as not only problematic to kind of our Torah Israelite ethics, but this shouldn't even be okay. Yeah. They represent the Egyptians. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating read of of Rashi there. Um, Okay. We have time, I think, for one more little um, section of the Rashi, and this is going to handle the question that Carol brought up 
of Vayar Besivlotam. Why is it a B as opposed to an Et? And we're gonna and let and Larry's gonna hear his own comments ringing a bit in how Rashi reads it. So Sue Vayar Besivlotam. Vayar Besivlotam Natan Enav Velibo Liot Metzer Alehem. He he gave. He gave his eyes and his heart to be in there to 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 have Rahman to to see yeah. their tsar, their um, you know, their source. So the first thing Rashi says without saying it but implying it is he didn't see he didn't see a thing. It, it, it's, this is Rashi saying this is an intentional bet without an et. This is not a direct object. He didn't see an uh, an item. He, um, Matt said he beheld. He peered into this Hebrew phrase latate ayin latate lev to give to give an eye and to give heart. Right? It kind of works in English too. It's 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 a sharing. It's 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 an opening up. Right. So it's not just that he visualized something that he hadn't seen before, but it penetrated him. I think that's how um, Larry had suggested. He placed, maybe place is better than give, he placed his eye and he planed, placed his heart such that, right, he, it has to be an active move, such that he could be lichiot, he could be Metzar, he could be troubled, alehem, along with them, for them, right? Not just that he saw their troubles, right? The difference between uh, the classic definition between sympathy and empathy, right? Sympathy is to is to feel bad for them. Empathy is to imagine you were them, right? So he didn't just see, oh, I see someone suffering. He 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 placed himself and his heart in his eyes in such a way that their suffering was his suffering, and when someone else's suffering is your suffering. You can't not do anything about it, or if you choose not to do something about it, it's self-abnegating because you're doing not you're not choosing not to do something to you because you are them. The hardest thing we do when we pass by someone who is, you know, homeless or forlorn on the street, not to feel bad for them, but to imagine we were them. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.